So you want to be generating awareness broadly in the market. You want to be really focusing on where you're generating demand, as we've talked about. And intent is the best way to actually target where you're going to be putting your energies today. All right, welcome to the Sales Prescription Podcast with Ron Halbert and Rusty Jensen. You know, there's all kinds of problems that can prevent you from being successful personally and professionally. And we are here to write you some highly effective and broad spectrum sales prescriptions. And all you have to do is fill them. You know, today we have an incredible guest with us. It's Randy Littleson. And Randy is a software executive with over 30 years in senior leadership experience. So Randy's been the chief marketing officer at many different companies like Nice In Contact, Flexera, and most recently at Conga. He's been the member of a board of directors for a company called TeamQuest. Now, Randy, for years, has been an inspiring leader for many people, including myself. So I worked with Randy for five years at Nice In Contact, and every single time I would interact with Randy, I would feel impressed. I would see somebody who has an incredible amount of experience and skill beyond where I am. And people just gravitate to Randy and respect him in, in ways that are just impressive. He's one of those people he's, that just kind the, of... He's the reason I'm here at Conga, yeah. Rusty, right? Definitely was like the reason that I chose to leave Nice and Contact and come over to Conga just in, in the sense of respecting him. That's why I kind of reached out to him and asked him about opportunities here overall. And I got to be careful on this podcast because he's also my boss. So... We got to be careful about what we say right here, Rusty, today when we go through this. That did kind of hurt my feelings that Ron would choose Randy over me. It's okay. I'm over it. You know, I, you I came over here too. There so I, I yep. surrendered. And we had to get Rusty afterwards. So I want to kind of get us started off, Randy, with kind of an initial question. We're going to talk a little bit about marketing and um, how sales and marketing is aligned and how we're looking at target accounts and everything like that. It's going to be a good episode. And just to kind of kick us off, if you think about anything we do in marketing, we talk about the message, the creative and the target. Randy, in your opinion, what is the most important thing, especially when starting off? Yeah, thanks, guys. You know, if you think about marketing today, it is a blend of art and science. It always has been and it especially is today. All of those things are important, right? You do need a good message. You do need good creative. But at the end of the day, I think the targeting is the most important, right? You can have the best creative, you can have the best message, but if you're shooting at the wrong target, you're not going to be successful at the end of the day. So really making sure that you first and foremost aligned with sales, understand where are you aiming, right? What accounts, what personas, who are you trying to target? because that needs to inform the creative and the message as well. Once you understand that target and you make sure that you're going after the right people at the right accounts, then you can create creative and messaging that aligns to those targets and making sure that you're going to be most effective. Right. So what goes into that, Randy? I mean, when you talk about targeting a company or individual people and you, you do that kind of research, like what goes into that? What do marketing organizations do to identify and target the right people and research and get the right information. What goes into it? I think first and foremost, right, you got to separate accounts versus the people, right? The first and foremost, you got to identify the accounts. Depending on the company you're at, you could say that we target very large enterprise accounts. Maybe it's in certain industries. Maybe you're broader than that. Maybe you only target smaller accounts in broad industries. There's geo-specific aspects to that. So figuring out which accounts and one of the best ways to do that in today's world is you can apply a lot of science to that, right? Understanding your ideal customer profile. 
which today can take a broad swath of information across the customers that you already have and then apply that to the prospect universe and understand which of them fits that profile, right? So understanding that is the start. The second thing you wanna look at is who are the people that we need to target? And I differentiate here a little bit between more awareness activities versus really trying to generate demand. You may have a buying committee. Let's say there's five key personas involved in that buying committee. Ultimately, you want to increase your awareness with all five of those buying personas. But when it comes to actually generating demand, getting in the door, getting in the account, there might be one of those personas that is the ideal place you want to get into the account. And therefore, you're going to structure your demand gen programs targeted those ideal fit accounts with the persona that is the best door to get in. Because at the end of the day, generating demand is all about getting into the account, right? Getting a toehold into that account and then sales development, the account executives and everything else can expand upon that, right? And ultimately, you are going to speak to all those personas. You do want to generate awareness with them, but getting in the door is a different set of activity. So I think those are the things that go into targeting accounts and personas in terms of how you're going to focus your energies. Yeah. And that's far different than what I've heard in the past from some sales reps that I talked to. When I ask like, hey, how do you find an account? It's almost like flip open the phone book, stab it with a finger. That's the one I'm going at today. I'm going to go after this specific account just because it happened to be the one I poke in the phone book. Many of our listeners have probably never seen a phone book before. That's something that used to be delivered <laughs> I, I to have. people's homes. I know Randy has, but uh, nowadays with the internet, I don't know if they do phone books anymore. But we do get very targeted. And I've I've told this to a lot of sales developers that work for me as well. You could have the best sequence, the best cadence with the best messaging. But if you're sending it to the wrong people, it's wasted time at the end of the day. So if your organization is not helping you to identify an ideal customer profile, and ICP is kind of the term that's used generally today, then I would ask, I would be sure to ask, and we've talked about this before, Rusty, in, in a previous episode, but at a certain point, you can't let yourself fail because your company's not doing it. So we've recommended, and maybe you can add to this, Randy, but if your company's not doing something like this, maybe you work for a startup or a smaller company, what are some tips and tricks that you can use to kind of do a better job of finding a good account to go after or a good contact to target? Yeah, there's a lot of data nowadays, right? But that also takes technology a lot of times to cull through all that data and really draw that perspective. But you can bootstrap it. You can crowdsource it. You start talking to the various teams in your company and understanding where have we had success in the past. And again, that goes back into the accounts and the contacts. So if you can't systemically leverage the data about your installed base, about the different people that you've targeted, crowdsource it. Start talking internally. Where have we seen success? What can we repeat? And I know you guys have talked about this in uh, some of your past podcasts as well, right? More is not always better. Having a smaller, more targeted list sometimes can be way more efficient. I know in marketing, a lot of times the notion is always about how many MQLs can we create, right? How many leads, how many MQLs can we create? I actually don't have a problem if the number of MQLs is flat, as long as the opportunities are going up. Mm -hmm. Because that tells me we're being more efficient and effective with what we're doing. Now, obviously, you want all metrics to be going up, but I'm talking about the trade-off, right? Mm -hmm. if, if you could tell me that MQLs be going up, but SAOs or opportunities would be flat versus MQLs would be flat, but opportunities would be going up, I'd take the latter, you know, any day of the week. So 
if you don't have the data, if you don't have the technology, if you're at a smaller company, crowdsource it, start yep. talking to people, start understanding where have you had success because you can leverage that going forward. Yeah. And we've said this before, you probably have the data, you just haven't looked at it. It's probably in your customer list. Go look at a list of your current customers, right? Exactly right. Look for similarities in those. And you may have to tie some logic into it. Here at Conga, we use other tools to help us prioritize accounts. We also use tools to help us prioritize contacts as well. But if you don't have that, it's because you're just not looking for it. Most people have at least a CRM at their company, at least a database. So go look at your current customers, look at who bought your product, and that's a great place to start. Yeah, success builds on success. That's mm -hmm. key. And the other thing, of course, now that is sort of the holy grail is understanding intent, right? So we can target based on everything that we've talked about. The best targeting, of course, is being able to understand who's really in the market and being able to really focus on them urgently, right? You want to urgently focus on those that are in the market. and. There is technology out there today that can unsurface and understand when accounts are surging intent, where they're actually actively in the market and researching in that. And of course, that's the best target of all. So you want to be generating awareness broadly in the market. You want to be really focusing on where you're generating demand, as we've talked about. And intent is the best way to actually target where you're going to be putting your energies today. So, Randy, let's talk about different marketing models. What are the different types of go-to-market strategies in marketing and how do they work? Because I think there's different approaches. So, you know, some people will, you know, focus on trying to do like a mass targeting of the entire market. Some people do different things. What are the different go-to-market models in marketing that marketing leaders employ and different kind of strategies you guys employ? Yeah, I'd look at this as sort of a two by two matrix, if you will. So the first thing is, is that there's generating demand and there's increasing awareness. So that's one dimension to this discussion. And if you think about everything that we do in marketing, it has an element of both of those aspects. But certain things we do lean further towards awareness. Certain things we do are further towards demand generation. A very simple analogy that all of us can relate to is if you're driving down the highway and you see a billboard for McDonald's and you see it, but don't act on it, generated awareness right? You saw something mm -hmm. about uh, McDonald's and of course you resonate, you sort of think about that. If on the other hand, you drove by it and it looked really good and you got off the highway and pulled into McDonald's, it generated demand. But everything that we do in marketing has an element of awareness and demand generation. Certain things are pushed further one direction versus the other. So that's one way to look at it. The other is in terms of sort of go to market motions, there's sort of this historical notion around demand marketing, which are a series of activities that are trying to get people to raise their hand. And okay. obviously, the more targeted you can be in everything that we talked about, the more successful you can be. But ultimately, it's about generating inbound activity, getting people to raise their hand based on a message and based on a set of tactics and things that you do into that targeted market. The more recent trend, however, is around account based and account based again, can do awareness, can do demand generation, but it's much more targeted around more of a named account set or a cohort of accounts. It's much more personalized. It's much more aligned activity between sales and marketing. That's why there are some people that call it account-based marketing. It's actually better called account-based everything. It really is not just a marketing motion. It's a sales and marketing motion and a customer service motion 
So you really want more combined, personalized activities targeting at a cohort of accounts. That could be a cohort that has specific need, could be a cohort in a specific industry. So you can define that in a variety of different ways. And again, intent can come into play here very, very nicely. So multiple dimensions to it, awareness and demand generation, sort of your traditional demand marketing approach, your account-based approach. And really it's that combination of sets of activities, these different motions that ultimately today are making up most marketing activities. So one of the things I've seen kind of over the years is that you really have to have a mix because there's only a certain amount of scale that you can reach with different models. So even by creating awareness, that does cause people to say, oh yeah, okay, I know I know what this company does and potentially engage. And then even when you get a little bit more targeted and you do demand marketing and you're specifically sending out messages that resonate with the market in general against your target audience, there are a lot of people that see those raise their hands, but there's also a lot of people who just don't pay attention to those kinds of things. Or the messages are general and they can identify them as general and they don't engage or raise their hands, which then kind of leads to that need for the account-based ABX approach, which is a lot more difficult for companies to do because of what you just said, which is, hey, we have to interact with marketing and sales and bring customer service and everybody has to kind of work as, a, as an orchestrated group. And there's this tendency for organizations to not collaborate in those ways. A lot of companies are more comfortable with the handoff, you know, Marketing does their part, they hand it over, right? Sales does their part, they hand it over. But the interoperation, interlinking, that's tough. Yeah. It's tough to do. You know what I thought about when you were talking about the difference between awareness and demand is I thought about the Super Bowl this year. And typically, Super Bowl commercials are probably more about awareness. Like usually you're not watching a Super Bowl commercial and then immediately order a product in that moment, right? But do you guys remember, was it Coinbase? Do you remember that commercial? It was literally just a bouncing. Oh, yes. What do they call the QR code? And it was like 30 seconds of just a bouncing QR code. And millions of people pulled out their phone. It's like, what is this? And scanned the QR code, giving their information to Coinbase. That's how you that's how you force demand right there. Like they immediately get demand in the moment, everybody going to their website or to wherever, wherever the QR code sent them, giving Coinbase some information. But that was pretty powerful, pretty impressive to come up with that kind of thing for the Super Bowl. And gutsy. Gutsy too, right? Right. Because that was a out of the box thinking way to get people's attention. And it was a big bet. Would people actually do it? Did mm -hmm. people have their phones handy? Did they actually act on it? And I, I, you know, from what I've heard, it actually was successful, but that was gutsy. Yeah, it's an expensive bet. You, uh, those are not cheap bets, right? And you place that bet and nobody picks up their phone and actually scans it. And that was a really yeah. bad bet. Everybody but, thinks their their uh, TV's broken all of a sudden. Something happened to my TV. Yeah, <laughs> I got this thing bouncing around. The, the commercials went away. <laughs> the, I, hope, I hope they had good messaging on the landing page. Yeah. Explain what they did. Exactly. Right. But going back to your point, right? I think the blend of these things is always the tricky part. Right. Yep. You know, the last couple of companies I've worked at, there's been a big emphasis on creating demand, right? High growth, really about the demand. And then the question is, how much money do you have to left to focus on awareness? Go, go back to the intent that we talked about. So, you know, you can find people that are in market and then you can find people that are not in market, but still somebody that you ultimately do want to engage with that's a great place for awareness. So you want to be warming them up. You want to be educating them. You want to be thought leading them. You want to be increasing awareness so that when they are in market, you're top of mind and they ultimately will engage you. 
So these things do play together, exactly how much money and how much emphasis you put more towards awareness things versus more towards demand gen as a function of where you're at in your growth cycle and everything else. But you cannot ignore and go binary and completely go one towards the other because you do need to be educating, thought leading and creating awareness with the people that aren't in market, of course. Well, and I can tell you from a, a sales and a prospecting standpoint, it's really hard to go into battle and to go in and try to identify accounts and prospect if there's zero awareness, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there's, I mean, cause you go into these accounts, they're just like, who, what? There, there's zero recognition. At least when somebody recognizes a name conversation, you know, when they see something, it helps a tremendous amount. It just I mean, adds it's, it's validity like cover. to you reaching out, right? And then I think about the fact of, I am in sales development, so obviously sales engagement tools are in my wheelhouse. I see ads for outreach all the time. I see ads for sales loft on LinkedIn. I feel like they circle me because I'm a target person for them. My mom has never heard of them. She's never, she doesn't know who any of those companies are, right? And she's a flight attendant. Why would she have anything to do with that? And that's how you know they're doing well. And that's what we need to do as an organization. And and your organization, if you're a listener here, hopefully your company is doing this as well. Because what it can make it seem like is it can make it seem like your company is bigger and better at what they do than they might actually be. Because to the person that is the ICP, the ideal customer profile for a company, they need to see a sales rep reaching out from one side, an ad in another spot, a billboard along their street, you know, whatever it is. And they need to feel like, wow, this company is a reputable company. Right. Because they're going to hand you money. Companies don't like giving out money just any any more than you do as a person. Right. And if they're going to give you money, they need to believe that you're reputable, that you know what you're going to do, that you're going to help them accomplish goals. This actually touches on an interesting topic that uh, there's a good blog going on right now from Forrester talking about the metric that gets all CMOs fired. And that is where pipeline comes from. Hmm. And there's obviously a lot of school of thought around sourcing, attribution, where did pipeline actually come from? And what Forrester's actually arguing is, is why do CMOs keep embracing that metric when it's gonna get them fired? Because Hmm. when you think about attributing everything that marketing does down to one single metric of who sourced the pipeline, it dramatically underplays a lot of what we've been talking about, building awareness and everything else. And it also implies that the buying process today, which we know is not true, is very discreet and very simple. And it's not, right? There's been reams of research around how much people do online, looking at stuff, engaging with companies before they really surface who they are and want to talk to a rep and everything. So we all do report on it and we do as well around where pipeline comes from. But as you get into account-based, as you start going into the installed base, and as you start thinking about the complexities of today's buying process, putting everything on a single label of who sourced that pipeline is really underplaying the role that marketing in particular plays in the overall process. Well, especially given the fact that when you look at like a, and we'll probably talk about this in a subsequent podcast, we talk about the psychology of a sales process and how it actually progresses. It begins with a research phase that's typically about 40% of the time. And, you know, it's very rare that you call someone completely out of the blue and they have zero awareness, zero understanding of what's going on. And then you just deliver them a pitch and suddenly they're like, yeah, I'm going to buy that. It's pretty rare. 
usually there's, there's a lot of groundwork that's going on ahead of time that lays the foundation and sets it up for you to be successful, which when you think about this conversation, we tie a few things together. Think about what's happening here. You have marketing organizations. I think, I think a CMO is a lot like a, the director of an orchestra and is basically the person standing out in front and setting the tone and the pace and the rhythm for an organization and affecting all aspects of pipeline. The work that you do around awareness, the work that you do around account-based marketing and targeting and, and everything else that's going on is actually helping to generate awareness in every aspect. It affects channels, it affects sales, it affects, it affects everything. And true cold calling isn't going to yield the kind of results without that type of support, right? It has to be coordinated. And when people are coordinating and working and interoperating together, you have a whole bunch more success, which is why I love the way you run marketing organizations when you target all of pipeline creation. Because you see that every aspect of the pipeline as it's getting built is affected and influenced by marketing, but a lot of CMOs will just focus on just the digital aspect or just the demand aspect and what directly comes from the website or digital marketing or anything else. And I think that it's a huge miss. It's a huge miss because you don't have that synchronized engagement. When I first joined in contact, what was about six years ago or so now, I sat down in my first couple of weeks with all the sales leaders. And one of the first things I heard from them consistently was, you guys don't speak our language. You guys don't talk about the same goals we have. You guys talk about the number of leads and how much awareness and everything else, but we care about bookings in particular. And worse, when you guys do talk about our metrics, you don't even have the same numbers we have. So what I did was within that first quarter working there, and it stayed that way for the entire five years that I was there, was we set two goals for marketing. It's how much pipeline we create and how much bookings we create. It's a rare goal for marketing to be thinking about bookings, but the last thing in the world I wanted the marketing team to do was to say, oh, well, we created the leads. It's not our fault they didn't turn it into a booking. At the end of the day, both organizations, sales and marketing together, own the entire funnel. We both own generating pipeline. We both own getting it across the finish line to bookings. And if marketing is not engaged after the point of opportunity creation in assisting and helping competitive information, win-loss information, ROI information, helping get things across to the finish line to bookings, then we're not aligned all the way through the funnel. You know, I got to say, I feel really good about this conversation. You know, a lot of sunshine, you know, <laughs> I think it's good, but I want to drive a wedge here, Randy. <laughs> I want to drive a wedge. This is my favorite question. I know what's coming. I'm excited about <laughs> Well, and it's funny because as a young salesperson, this is all I could think about. It's like, what's marketing doing? You know? And here's the question always, which is, Randy, you know, I've got a question for you. If we're doing so well in marketing, how come when I go to Google and I Google some keywords about our company, we're not on the first page? What's going on here? It's almost like the, the only measurement of marketing. And when you don't understand everything that goes into it, that's the question you have from a sales or finance perspective, potentially, uh, you go in and say, well, I'm Googling. Where, where are we? Why aren't we on the first page? We've been investing in this for two weeks now, Randy. So tell us why that is and what it takes to be able to win in the digital market. Because I'd say the most valuable prospect is someone who's actually getting on and saying, okay, I now need automated document generation technology or contact center technology, and they search for it. That's the lowest hanging of the low hanging fruit. But why does that happen? Tell us a little bit about what goes into that. I have never heard that question before. Really? <laughs> <You're> kidding. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard it like, oh, about every week for the last 20 years. 
Understandable question because it's very visible. My first answer to that is, if it was easy to be number one in the Google search results, Google would not be worth over a trillion dollars. Ooh. You can't game the system. So there's no shortcuts. There's no simple path to the top. If there were, everybody would have figured it out by now and everybody would be doing that. So it is a slow, methodical build to get to that position. There's been a lot of research done. On average, the number one ranking search result is from a site that's about three years old. You think about it, Google wants to give up authoritative, correct answers. You launch a site tomorrow, you're not authoritative. You haven't proven yourself. You haven't earned the right to get to that position. So it is about having a strategy. It is about having a roadmap. It is about consistently executing it, building the content. There's a lot of backend technical work that needs to go on. Backlinks, the metadata, the way that it crawls your site. It is not a simple gaming exercise to win that. But if you focus on it and you put a dedicated resource to it and you put the energy behind it and you measure it, you can make a lot of progress. To me, winning digital marketing is really important today. And to me, there's three pillars to that. Number one, you've got to do well in search engine optimization. And that's a slow build. It takes time, repetition, focus, energy every single day. And that, that's organic search results. That is Somebody organic searches, search results. They find you on the Which first Which in page. today's Google environment is sometimes hard to see those results because they've got so many bloody ads in the way. Right. But they're the ones that don't say ad by them. The second pillar is, and if you do a search today, you are very likely crossed almost any category to see these come up, which is review sites. Review sites are really important and they grab a lot of the search results because they get so many eyeballs. They aggregate a lot of content. They become very authoritative. Think about buying a car. Think about going out to a restaurant, think, right? These review sites um, tend to grab a lot of the eyeballs and a lot of that real estate. So you've got to have an energy around how to do well on the review sites. They're really important. And that's maybe half the results. They're often. They're so usually you usually search for a keyword and the, you know, half of them are vendors, common. half are Certainly on the first page. Yeah, for sure. Right. It, and it's because they're big aggregators, mm -hmm. right? So they get a lot of eyeballs. They become very authoritative. They've got a lot of content. So you need a strategy to not only do well on those reviews, but to have good content on those review sites. So when somebody clicks through on a software advice, a G2 or whatever it may be, you're going to show well on that review site. And that's really important. And then the third is around search engine marketing. So the ads on a Google search, for example, and that is a game of constant optimization, right? You've got to be constantly on the world changes very, very quickly. There's a lot of bidding going on. There's competitors coming in. So those are the three pillars to me, search engine optimization, review site, search engine marketing that all make a part of that. But what I've seen is if you're consistent, you have a strategy, you measure it, you can do well on the search results to answer every salesperson's question. It's not going to happen overnight. Easy peasy. No big deal. No big exactly. deal. There is no easy <laughs> button when it comes to it. It's hard, consistent, methodical work. So what we're saying is appreciate your marketing people. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Exactly. So I want to I want to ask one final question here to kind of wrap this up. And we really appreciate you joining us today, Randy. We mentioned this yesterday. We did an episode. We are in the Conga headquarters for this interview. So Rusty brought all of our podcast equipment and he did carry on, piled it in his luggage. I looked at his luggage last night. He had one outfit in there other than just full of podcast stuff. So Yeah, I'm wearing the same jeans as yesterday. Don't criticize me. So to wrap it up, though, there's a lot of people listening here that want to be executives. They want to move up in the organization. There's probably a lot of people that are aspiring marketing leaders. 
and sales leaders, in your opinion, as someone that's done it, that's accomplished the goal that many people have, what does it take to get there? I think the first thing is, is have a vision and be willing to adapt that as you go. I used to tell my girls all the time when they were younger is, and this does make sense after I explain it, which is don't be a piece of driftwood. Hmm. If you think about a, a log that falls into a river, it's got no sense of navigation. It goes where the water tells it to go. It doesn't have a vision of where it wants to end up. It just goes with the flow, as they say. That's not a good recipe for your career. So have a vision of what you want it to look like. I got my degree in computer science. I figured out early on that in the software industry, if I could blend technical and business together, that could be my unique differentiator. And so for me as a marketer, as I moved into marketing, to me, it was all leveraging that analytical, that scientific approach to things and not just coming at things from a creative. I get good creative people. I partner well with creative people, but I bring to it a slightly different mix. And that was sort of my unique play in this. But I had a vision of that early on, and then I just kept executing along the way. So I think first and foremost is figure out a vision of where you want to be. And then it's about proving that you can continue to take on more and more responsibility. And that's a juggling act to me of you got to do well at your job. Obviously, that's the way you get recognized and promoted. But you've got to be willing to stretch beyond that and to demonstrate that you can do more. So when opportunities create themselves, if there's a void and there's an opportunity to stretch into a new area, seize the day. I had that happen a couple of times during my career where I got moved into broader and different things because I demonstrated that I was willing to and able to give it a try. And then then you have to prove it out, obviously. So those would be the couple of things that I would say. And then listen and learn from other people. And you can do that a lot outside of your direct area as well, right? So talk to people that are in other roles and responsibilities. I think, you know, if you look back over my career, I actually ran R&D for a while. I actually ran professional services for a while. Wow. I was an SE, so I've been on the sales side. That broader set of experiences, I think, informs me today. So when I sit down and talk to the services team about how we have to market their service, I actually ran services for a while. So I can appreciate some of the things that they're going through. And I'm, I'm not saying everybody's going to have the exact same journey or path. My point is, is the broader inputs, the broader experiences, the broader understanding you have of the business helps you be a more effective marketer, if you ask me. Awesome. I think that's great. Stoked about it. And, and I'm surprised we got through this entire episode. I didn't hear anything about Michigan football at all or Michigan in general. So... Well, we're about to start March Madness yeah. and we barely got in. So I'm not exactly sure what to think of them right now, <laughs> yeah. but I'll be watching and rooting for him. He's a big fan over there. So as long as they beat Ohio State. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And we did that this year. There we go. Well, thank you, Randy. We appreciate you joining the Sales Prescription Podcast. Great episode. Great advice. And I think uh, anybody out there should be able to lend an ear and listen. In terms of the sales prescription, we are happy to help you guys with anything that you need to. There's a lot that goes into this go-to-market strategy. There's a lot that goes into developing yourself personally and in your career, and we want to be helpful to you. So find us on LinkedIn, connect with us, talk to us. We're happy to work with you and to help you out. And we appreciate everybody for taking the time to listen to us. Stay tuned in. Thanks, everybody.